You know, I had this, what I believe was a really great message prepared. <laughs> um, I even brought a whiteboard to the factory this morning because I was going to whiteboard some stuff. And I've been really excited for it all week, but I just, I can't go there today. Because I think today, and this is totally God working and, and speaking and us following him and listening, but I, I think today we need to be reminded that it's actually not about concepts. It's not about good ideas. It's not about our circumstances, but it's about who our God is and who he's made us to be. It's about who our God is and who he's made us to be. You see, today I was meant to be talking about DNA. And I'm, I'm still going to talk about DNA. It's just going to look different. So if you want to run with me in this. But, you know, over the last five weeks, we've spent time looking and discussing our calling and our purpose and our internal objectives and our external objectives. You know, the variety of things that we believe God is speaking to us as a church and saying to us as a church. You know, there's a whole bunch of different stuff that we've been talking about. We've been talking about how we believe that we're called to impact families and we're called to bring hope to Cardinia. And there are so many great things that we have shared about. And God is really speaking to us at the moment. And this week, we had planned to wrap that up, to wrap up this conversation, talking about our DNA. Talking about what is our DNA, what is unique to us, what are the things that we believe God has called us to model and to live out as a community. DNA is an amazing thing. We are all made up of DNA as humans. Uh, DNA is a self-replicating material that is present in nearly all living organisms as the main constituent of chromosomes. It is the carrier of genetic information. DNA carries the fundamental and the distinctive characteristics or qualities of someone or something, especially when it's regarded as unchangeable. So what does that mean? So that means that our DNA is the thing, the very thing that makes us unique. It is the very thing that makes us who we are. It's made up of millions and millions of different cells and chromosomes and, and all this really amazing stuff that I don't understand half of, so I'm not going to really go into it with you. But like, there are all these bunch of different things that come together, and when they come together, they create who we are. I'm not going to talk today about our, our scientific DNA that makes us as humans, but I'm going to talk about an interpretation of DNA which we believe is for us as a church. I want everyone, if you're able to, right now, to just stand up where you're at. Everyone stand up, and I want you to raise your arms up high to the sky, and then raise your arms to the side, and put them back down, and then maybe put them in the chicken thing and do the chicken dance, and you can sit back down again. Now, as I was telling you to do those things, did you consciously think about moving your cells to make your right arm lift and your left arm lift? Did you think about how your cells were communicating to your muscles to tell your muscles to move in this way or to do this or, you know, to maybe feel sore when you lifted your left shoulder or, you know, like, did you, did you consciously think about what it took to make your body do the things that it just did? No. But your body is capable of doing those things because of the way that it's been created, 
because of the DNA that exists inside of your body that communicates with your muscles, that's connected to your cells, that's you know, all interwoven, that can then translate something that you hear, which is an instruction from me, and then create it in a brainwave and send it as an, electrical, an electron neuro pathway thingy down into your body. Sorry, that's a really scientific term. You know, this electron thingy communication thing that goes into your arms that tells you to flap your arms like a chicken. Subconsciously, you just did that. You heard a command and you, you followed. But that's the beautiful thing about DNA is it, it is so central to our existence. It's at the very core of who we are. It makes us who we are. Without it, we would be, I don't know, blobs of water, I guess, or something like that. But it is so important to making us who we are, but we don't actually think about it a lot. I never, I never, you know, sit down and think about my DNA that makes me brown and, you know, gives me hair on my arms and makes my eyes brown, like, and makes my hair black. Like, I don't think about those things. But God did when he created each and every one of us. God did when he made us all unique and when he said, I'm going to put a little bit of this in this person, I'm going to put a little bit of this in this person, I'm going to give this person a little bit of this and that's going to make them unique in this way. And for us as a church, I believe that we, as we have come together, we've been given a unique DNA. As Merrick and Noel and Paul and Helen and Kelly and Alicia and Annie Gay, as we all gather together, we create a unique body. We create a body that has certain skills and certain gifts and certain characteristics and certain flavor that would only be the case because of the people that are here right now. Think about this for a second. This may be one of the only times in your life that the 25 participants, and I'm talking about Zoom participants, but you know, all the people that are on the screens right now, this may be the only time that we are ever gathered in this capacity. All these people here right now. Because next week, there's going to be different combinations of people that are gathered. Last week, there were different combinations to the 25 participants and you know, all the people on the screen. But we so often find ourselves in situations when, when we gather together, our, our DNA and, and what makes us a gathered body changes all the time because of the different people that are there. And so what we've done is we have sought to create language that can best describe characteristics that no matter if Kelly's here or not here, or if Jono's here or not here, or if Jim's here or not here, or if Rachel's here or she's not here, language that describes characteristics that we can live and embody when we are gathered, but also when we are scattered. And so we've, we've created and we believe God has given us these seven statements that are unique to us. Now, some might think of these statements as core values. There's a lot of terminology when it comes to creating value statements. Core values or high values or aspirational values, these are all descriptions of language that exists frequently within the business world. If you looked at most organizations or most businesses that exist today, a lot of them will have a set of core values or high values or aspirational values that they as a company live by. Quite often, you can see these companies create these statements and they're really you know, inspirational and amazing, um, but they're just 
words on a piece of paper. They're just words that are kind of there and they exist, but you know, the company doesn't really or may or may not live by or through these statements. The reason why we chose to not use the core value language was because we believed that there was one step further. A core value is generally defined as a principle or a belief that drives certain behaviors or actions uh, for people within an organization. So it's a, a, a principle or a belief, something that drives certain actions or behaviors. DNA, on the other hand, and as I've described DNA, it talks about the characteristics or the qualities that make someone unique, that are, that are unchangeable, that are, that are ingrained into who they are. There's a really big difference between those two things. And so we're convinced that core values are amazing. They're amazing things to live by. And, you know, I have certain things that I value and I live my life by. For us, we recognize that it's not just about believing things or believing or understanding principles, but it's about being transformed into the likeness of Christ and then recognizing that because we are sons and daughters of God, we do certain things. And I would like to suggest that Jesus didn't walk around thinking about a bunch of principles and values and then doing and, and, and having action because of those values and things that he was thinking. I would like to suggest that Jesus, and, and, and this is actually true because it's in the word, but Jesus says that I only do what I see my father doing. I only hear what I hear my father saying. And so as the perfect son, Jesus would go around and minister because of the things that were within him, because he was the son of God, because he was God. Because God is love, because God is merciful, because God is compassionate, because God is hope, because God is faithful, Jesus would go around and minister to people because of those things. We aren't Christ. We follow Christ. We learn from Christ. We're meant to be transformed into the likeness of Christ, but we aren't Christ. So we're not privileged to that same uh, level of understanding of the ways or the characteristics of the Father. We can learn about them and we can grow in our knowledge of them and in our wisdom of them. However, we, we don't have that exact same access that Christ does to the full extent. However, there are so many scriptures in the New Testament that talk about us being, you know, having our minds renewed in Romans, where it speaks about, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. You know, in Romans 8, I think it says that we have been transformed into his likeness and therefore we have been adopted into the family of God and we can be called sons and daughters who cry out Abba, that we no longer have to be slaves to the world or slaves to sin, but that we can become sons and daughters of God. You know, when you're, when you're brought into a family, you begin to pick up the characteristics of that family. You begin to learn about the ways of that family. And each and every one of us are, uh, in our walks with Christ are exposed to his characteristics and are exposed to his ways. And we're, we're actually exposed to his DNA. We're exposed to the things of God that make God who he is. And we can learn them through relationship with other believers. We can learn them through reading the word. We can learn them through encounter with him. There are so many different ways that these things are learned. But God has DNA. And because we love God and because we are adopted into God's family, we are then provided with an opportunity to take on his DNA. 
to become like him, to be transformed into his likeness. And so these seven statements that we have aren't just good principles or beliefs. They are, but that is not the full extent of their purpose. The full extent of their purpose is that they would be embodied, that they would be modeled, that they would be lived out, not because we have to, but because we're being transformed into the likeness of Christ and therefore we are living them out. So the seven statements are this. The first one is that we love without limits. That we believe in loving when it costs us and it's not reciprocated. It would take five seconds of thinking to recognize how much Jesus loved without limits. I could rattle off verse after verse that speaks of the love of God. That is a testimony of the love of God. We We could spend hours here talking about how God, how Jesus loved without limits over and over and over again. It is, a, it is part of his DNA. It is part of God's DNA to love without limits, to love when it's not reciprocated. The second one is that we are united in purpose, that we aim to live as a community, championing each other and serving and using and exercising our gifts. You know, God, and, and this is something that I feel like I've talked about consistently almost weekly for the last month to six weeks, but the fact that we are a a body and a body isn't complete without its arm, just like a body isn't complete without its foot, that we need each and every person to be bringing themselves and we won't attain the fullness of Christ unless we have the fullness of everyone physically bringing themselves to be part of the body. When we look at Jesus and the disciples and how he lived on earth, we see time and time again, story after story that showed the unity that existed within the disciples, how he sent them out together, how they did life together, how they ate together, how they lived, they existed together in unity. We are willing to challenge culture We are willing to provoke countercultural change in our lives, aligning with God's perfect will. This is one of my favorite ones. And it takes a little bit more digging, but it's so clear to see how Jesus was comfortable with being countercultural. Time and time again, Jesus rebuked and he taught the Pharisees and the Sadducees about the ways of the kingdom. And, and he challenged the cultural aspects of their time and of their day. Think of the story of Jesus allowing the woman, who was more than likely a prostitute, to come to the table and to anoint him for burial. There were so many cultural issues in that story. There were, there were so many things that were wrong. One, that a woman could come to the table and not actually serve food. That was a big no-no. One, a, a, a woman, more than likely a prostitute, being allowed in a room with a rabbi. Like, that's another thing, like uh, uh, talking to a woman and actually giving her value. Jesus was so okay with not living by the corrupt cultural standards of his time. It was woven into his ways. And so therefore it has to be woven into ours. 
Number four, we partner in the kingdom of God. This one is it's plain and simple. Jesus taught us that in our prayer life, in our action, in our heart, in our belief, um, in, in everything that we do, we have to be kingdom focused. When Jesus taught us how to pray, what does he teach us how to pray? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When Jesus taught us in our, in, in our beliefs and what to think, he taught us to think about those around us, to not just think about ourselves or not to just be concerned for ourselves, to be concerned for our neighbor, to be concerned for the well-being of the person next to us. When Jesus told us to be people of action, it wasn't for the sake of ourselves, but it was for the sake of God being glorified, but people experiencing the glory and the love and the mercy and the power of God and the compassion of God. Number five, we live in and through God's presence. We live focused on God's presence and power, allowing Him to lead and transform our lives. I've already mentioned this, but we, we see throughout the Gospels, it was recorded that Jesus would only do what He saw His Father doing, that He would only say what His Father said. If we want to, like, if, if we want to be a community of people that are mobilized and that are, that are advancing the kingdom of God, we've got to be aware of what's going on in the kingdom. So therefore, we have to be in tune with our King. We have to be in tune with the victory that he, has, that he has given us. We have to be in tune with what He's saying, with the opportunities. You know, like, for example, and I'm not puffing myself up at all, but if I had chosen to not listen to God and to not obey His leading in telling me about the pain in the, the head and the pain in my back, then maybe people miss out on an opportunity to experience healing. If I don't live in God's presence, if I, don't, if I don't spend time with Him, listening to Him, being led by Him, then other people, like other people's lives are at stake. It may not just be a healing, but maybe you're walking down the street and God tells you, because you're living in His presence, He tells you to stop and turn to the homeless man and tell them that God loves him. And tell him, like, you know, maybe, maybe God gives you a word of knowledge about his life and maybe God wants you to pray for him. But if you don't live in God's presence in that moment, if you don't listen to God's leading in that moment, then that man may, not, may miss out on an opportunity to experience salvation. I know that's a really drastic thought and it's really extreme, but it's our reality. It's a reality of, of the responsibility that we've been given as sons and daughters. When we're adopted into a family, we have to take on the ways and the DNA of a family. And this isn't just about catalyst DNA, this is DNA of what it means to be a disciple, of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We have to be people that live as Christ did, transformed into His likeness. That means we have to be transformed into His ways. That means that we have to be transformed and experience and live in His characteristics. Number six, that we exhibit God's reviving power, that we live abundant lives supernaturally revived by God's grace, exhibiting His power to all. Again, an extension of that. We, for so long, have accepted a gospel without power. It is really easy to accept and to live and to try and understand a gospel when it doesn't involve power. Because power is unknown. Power is out of our control. God's, we, we can't control God's power and God's presence. We can't control His healing, His reviving. It's something that we may not even understand. You know, why does God heal this time, but then He doesn't heal this time? 
There's a lot of unknowns. And so I think we often settle for a gospel without power. We settle for love or we settle for truth, but we miss out on the fullness of it because we, we leave out the power part. And I'm not saying we become power focused, but I'm saying that the gospel has to come with truth and love, but it has to come with power. And again, it doesn't take long to reflect on the word and to see how Jesus was a man who was motivated by compassion. He was motivated by love. But the outflow of that was that people experienced God's power. They experienced his healing. They experienced his presence. They experienced the reviving of their souls. People's lives were restored time and time and time again. Their dignity was restored. Think about all the lepers that Jesus encountered and that he healed. They were outcasts of society. They weren't allowed to come even in the city gates. They had to sit outside of the gates of the city. And these men, these people who were lepers, who were told they were worth nothing, that they were just left there to die, they experienced the reviving power of God. And hey, they didn't just get physically healed, but their societal status was restored. Their spiritual status was restored. Their identity was restored. Guys, God's reviving power isn't just about the miracles, but it's about the restoration of people unto him, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. We've got to preach the gospel, but it has to be with power. Let me keep going in that because I'm not done yet. Hey, we've got to preach the gospel with power because people are sick and tired of just truth, right? Truth has become so relative in our day and age because truth has become attached to feelings. It's become attached to beliefs. It's become attached to, you know, mindsets that people have. And so, you know, my truth may not actually be factually true, but it's truth to me and I can say that and you can't actually challenge my truth anymore. That's the world that we live in, right? The Truth has become so relative in our culture. And so if I was to go up to and present to someone truth, which is I know is true because it's the word of God. And so if I was to go and say, hey, let me tell you about the truth. That doesn't mean anything to anyone anymore. You want to know how we can create meaning in the truth that we have? We show them power. Because people, they can make truth relative. They can, in their understanding, they can water it down, they can rationally explain it, they can rationally concoct it into something that they can understand or maybe just disregard because they don't want to follow it. But people can't ignore the power of God. If I walked up to someone on the street and said, hey, can I pray for you for a second? Can I pray for healing? Maybe you've got an issue on your back. If I pray for that person and their back is healed, they can't deny that. And that's truth. You want to know why your back was healed? Let me tell you about a man who 2,000 years ago died for you. Let me tell you about a God whose love and his mercy is so significant that I can't even begin to fathom it for myself and I've been trying for the last 25 years. But hey, let me give you, let me try and just tell you about this truth. Guys, we've got to have a gospel with power. And the last one, is we always choose hope. And I love the, the theme and the thought that's been going on this morning, but we always choose hope. It speaks for itself. 
I started off by talking about how we can't let our circumstances dictate what we think or what we believe about God or about ourselves. And I think this, this DNA point is the classic language to describe that. My hope, my levels of hope cannot be dictated by my circumstance. They have to be dictated by God and his truth and his power and his word. We have to be so acutely aware of who our God is. And as we grow in our knowledge of him, as we grow in our understanding of him, as we experience him more, that should lead to increased levels of hope. With hope, we should be looking through the lens of hope. You know, I'm going to share a funny example with you um, as, as we close this out. But I was thinking this morning of like, okay, what's the situation in my life where hope's a hard choice to make? And you're going to laugh at me. I, I thought about Collingwood. Yeah, Matt's laughing at me. And, and, and then, look, this is a comical thing, but I, I think it's a great example and for some of you, you know, you're like, oh, Nathan, here he goes. He's talking about footy again. He's talking about Collingwood. Oh, whatever. But engage right now and, and, and entertain me for a second. But when I look at Collingwood and when I look at my football club, my beloved football club, we are in the pits right now. From the board level, you know, it's a shambles. From our coaching department, it's a shambles. In our playing department, it's not much better. And hopes, it's really hard to hope for my football club. You know, I want to hope that we improve. I want to hope that maybe we can play finals again someday. But like, it's going from bad to worse. It really is. And I know this is funny, but like, it's a situation where I'm like, okay, and, and I'm, I'm being comical, I'm not being exactly serious, but I'm just using it as an example. But it's a situation where I'm like, you know what? Like, the circumstance isn't lending itself to, to believe for a better future. But when we choose hope, our, remember, our hope isn't defined by our circumstance. Our hope has to be defined by our God, by who our God is. And so I'm not going to interpret that to Collingwood becoming successful and winning a premiership. But maybe let's take a real situation in my life, or maybe take a real situation in your life. As we've heard from Paul and Helen and Joel and Jono this morning, there are real circumstances in our life where it's really hard to choose hope. But we have to remind ourselves of who our God is. And we have to make the conscious choice, and it's not easy, but we have to make the conscious choice that our circumstance isn't going to define our levels of hope. Because Jesus was victorious. Jesus is victorious. And all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. And we believe in that God. That is our king. That is our king. And so we have to hope in that. And not in our circumstance, not in things of the world. We have to hope in a king. And it's a good hope. It's a good, it's a good hope. <laughs> because he's victorious. There's no doubt about that. There's no questioning about that. We have a victorious God. So this is our DNA. This is God's DNA.
DNA. This is, these are the things that I want to see us live. I want to see us think. I want to see us model and exemplify to those around us that we would be people that would love without limits, that we would be united with purpose, in purpose, that we would be willing to challenge the culture around us, that we would be willing to partner in the kingdom of God, that we would be willing to live in and through God's presence, that we would be a people that would not settle for a gospel without power, that, but that we would exhibit, and exhibit's a really strong word there, but that we would exhibit, that we would show, that we would model, that we would action God's reviving power, and that we would be a people that would always choose hope, that we would always choose hope. I just want to pray for us as, as we finish today, that we would live out these things, that as sons and daughters of God, we would become so greatly aware of his characteristics of who he is, and that we would live these things out, not for our sake, but for the sake of the world around us, that we would be able to lead people into an encounter with the living God who loves them, with the God who is gracious, who is compassionate, who is slow to anger, who's abounding in love and mercy. Actually, would you just stick your hands out just while I pray for you? Because again, I keep coming back to this thought of like, we can't do battle anymore. We just have to receive the victory. We're actually, we're just going to change it up. Hang on. If you're in a house with people, can you just lay hands on each other? Every single person. It's, it's COVID safe because you're in your home, so that's great. We're not allowed to lay hands on people here in the factory, but you guys get to lay hands on people. But can you just lay, and, and if you're alone, just put your hands out to receive, because I believe that you know, God can stretch his hand out to you right now. But just lay hands on each other for a second. The person you're holding right now, your hand that you're holding or the shoulder that you're touching, they're a son or a daughter of God. And let that sink in. You're touching a beloved. They have the ways and the characteristics of Jesus inside of them, as do you. We have been given the keys to a kingdom. Jesus, I pray, just as you taught us to pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Would your kingdom come and would your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Father, would you give us this day our daily bread? Would you lead us not into temptation? God, would you lead us to forgive those as you have forgiven us. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Jesus, we just thank you for being our king. Jesus, we recognize, we call our hearts and our minds to recognize right now in this moment that you have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. And through your love and through your forgiveness and your grace and your mercy, we get to experience that. And so right now, I just pray, Father, would you increase our faith? Father, would you increase our love? 
Would you increase our hope? Would you increase our unity? Would you increase our obedience? Would you increase our belief in you? God, would you increase our knowledge of what it means to be a son and a daughter of the Most High? Would you increase our knowledge of what it means to be adopted into your family? What it means to be sons and daughters of you? What it means to take on your ways, to take on your characteristics, to take on your DNA? Father, I pray that we would remember these things to our core and that they would not be principles or beliefs off to the side that we live every now and then. But God, we would be so, so motivated to desire to be transformed into your likeness, to take on your ways, to take on your character, to take on your DNA. God, would you do it in me? Would you do it in us as a body? Would we love without limits? Would we be united? God, would you enable us to challenge to advance your kingdom, to exhibit your power. God, to always choose hope and to live in and through your presence. We ask these things in the victorious name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, our King, the worthy Lamb. And we believe knowing that you will give them to us as sons and daughters. In your name, I pray. Amen. Thanks for coming on the journey this morning. I want to encourage each and every person as we, as we head into our weeks to, to actually look at our DNA statements, to look at what's in them, and to maybe pick one or two, maybe three, four, five. Hey, pick all seven. I'm going to try and pick all seven this week. Let's be high achievers in the kingdom, but let's, let's look at our DNA this week and let's Pick a couple that we can choose to model in every circumstance, that we would choose to live out in everything that we do. It may be hope, it may be love, it may be power, whatever it is. But I, but I just ask that you stop and you consider that and you think about that and you choose to live that out this week and watch God move in your midst, in your family, in your friends and in your workplaces. He will move in your midst. Let's be attuned to the way of his leading this week. Amen.